Hello and welcome to Real Time Strategy, a bi-weekly podcast looking at the gaming industry through the lens of public relations. I'm on your host, Sam Mosier, joined as always by my co-host, Caitlin Redwing. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Sorry for the pause. I was just coughing. <laughs> uh, we're, but I, we're going through it. <laughs> I We lost our last episode. I got bronchitis. I'm still recovering, but I am glad to be here. <laughs> I do want to do a quick recap of the lost episode of Real-Time Strategy. But first, of course, more importantly, we have a guest, a triple pointer, joining us on Real-Time Strategy for the first time. Emily Gogol, how are you doing today? Hi. This is kind of where I say, like, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. How are y'all? <laughs> good. We're good. very excited to have you on. And uh, the reason, Emily is coming on, not just because they're an amazing Triple Point team member and we have many fond uh, memories together <laughs> formed at Vegas, um, which is now something that the listeners don't know because it's something we discussed on the last episode. Um, but Emily and Caitlin attended PAX East 2022, which is going to be our main topic this week. Uh, they organized a very fun event, uh, got to see Boston, hopefully survived the cold. Well, obviously survived the cold. They're here on the <laughs> podcast. Um, but we're going to get to that later. First, Emily, tell us about yourself. How did you get involved in games PR? Uh, sideways, but with gusto. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I actually am not like PR by trade. I have a degree from uh, UNT, shout out, uh, and it's in broadcast journalism, which also wasn't originally the plan, but I... You know, who, he who makes a plan is going to disappoint himself. So I just kind of roll with the punches of life. So I have a degree in broadcast journalism, and I worked in the news industry for two years out of college. I worked at a uh, television station in Louisiana. And when my contract started to expire, I was looking at, you know, new places to work. I kind of wanted, a like, a change of pace because I'd been working in news for two years, and I was kind of feeling a little bit burnt out, honestly. And I got like, you know, on LinkedIn and I was seeing all these like really different applications because when you put in producer, it, it gives you the whole gamut of jobs. And this was one of them. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to apply. And um, I, I got the interview and got the job. So I'm now in games PR, which is a little bit of a change of pace, but I really enjoy it. And I kind of really like the differences in like what I used to do and then what I do now I think it's really interesting it's really it's really fun career path well hopefully you're not getting burnt out here <laughs> oh no no <laughs> but no I that is it's a very interesting career path but I think one that I it's almost like similar to a lot of our guests that have been on here is just like kind of fell into PR or started in journalism and are interested in PR or like vice versa. They're just it, very transferable careers. Yeah. It's like a lot of this. It's like similar. It's, you know, they're, they're cousins, not sisters, but they are close enough that I feel like a lot of the things that I learned doing journalism apply to PR. Yeah. And I'm actually really surprised that we showed up with producer. I didn't know that mm -hmm. our I, job applications would fall under that category. So I think it's like 
kind of like the dolphin, like what you see above the surface versus what's below is that like looking for producer, one of the jobs that are is in the production field is associate producer. So associate shows up. So associate mm. for uh. triple point shows up. Um, that's my idea. I'm not by any means a LinkedIn expert. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> well, shout out to the word map SEO salad that got you here. I'm yeah. glad the science worked out in, in our favor. <laughs> yeah, no, very excited about that. So as Caitlin noted, we've had plenty of people on before that, you know, have made the shift from maybe PR to games or like intermingled kind of in between there. Emily, what were your expectations, you know, uh, conceptions of PR versus now being at triple point for over four months now, um, yeah. or around four months. Um, what, you know, what has the reality been? What has surprised you? So I like have a different perspective, uh, perspective of PR than a lot of journalism people, because like at UNT, we keep all, both of those schools together. So, you know, we took classes with a lot of PR folks and originally like when you're a freshman and you're like, PR people, they're not journalists. Why were they here? Uh, they tell you like, no, y'all are the same thing. Get over yourselves. Uh, so I think like I kind of grew into a healthier mindset of PR than a lot of journalism students are kind of forced to. Uh, not to say that all journalists have bad ideas of PR people. We, we think y'all are awesome. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, a lot of the things that you believe going into like J school is like, oh, I don't want to be like a Twitter person. I don't want to do PR. And that's not what PR is at all. So you know, we don't really do, you know, PR in like the sense of like social media regulation. We do a lot of PR in the sense of like, here's how we are the, of the most utility to these companies determining like, what people are saying and thinking about them, what people are doing about them, what's an actionable course of events that we need to follow. So I was really interested in the fact that it's it's more than just, you know, contacting journalists. It's also like hosting live events and going to conventions and having a in-person presence with these brands and giving them a face to be like, you can trust us. We're actual people. We're not Twitter bots that are tweeting really weird things on like the Wendy's account like we're <laughs> yeah so that's I mean that's kind of the interesting thing is just like how much you're allowed to have like a really distinct personality and how much that is actually a value to the companies that you work with yeah well said and I, I like what you said about the uh, UT's approach to keeping the PR and journalism kids together uh because at my school, we start in the same pool and then we splinter off um, around like junior year. And I found the, the you know, obviously it helps to have that same foundation, but I do definitely see the perks to just staying, you know, together to some degree throughout the whole course because I think you miss certain finer details of like whether it's, I think it's really helpful for PR students to know how pitching and like what makes a strong pitch for journalism students works. And I think it's very helpful for the journalism folks to know what are these PR people for? What can they help answer? How can they be advantageous toward the stories I'm trying to tell? Um, so yeah, I find that very interesting. Yeah, a lot of like the higher level, like senior classes are, you know, social media stuff like that, which you take with PR kids. So you don't ever stray too far so you really have to like learn like what are you doing what am i doing how can we help each other how can we 
be of service to one another and just in general like how can i be kind to you and like how can i have a relationship with you that is beneficial to both of us beyond just like a businessy transaction like how can i be kind to you and like do things that will help you and be of service to you so i think that's really like a helpful way that unt does it uh so like shout out to them uh, we also have a lot of professors that are like you are not as different as you think you are <laughs> So of course, you your your LinkedIn searching producer associate at Triple Point somehow magically <laughs> comes up a Triple Point video game agency. Uh, let's get into the video game nature of yeah. your background, Emily. What? Uh, let's start in the now. What games mm -hmm. are you playing? Okay, so weird spread right now. Um, one of them, I and I know this is gonna sound like lip service -y. I actually am playing like one of the games from our client. It's Cosmonius <laughs> High. I really like it. It's like a very colorful, calm, happy way to end the day. So if I'm like ever stressed out, I'm like, I'm gonna go paint real quick with like these little alien friends of mine. So that's fun. Um, me and my partner Graham are playing Kirby in the Forgotten Worlds. Mm. Um, and then my friend who just got a job here, uh, I'm sure she'll show up eventually but uh we play overwatch <laughs> together so um yeah no i'm very new to it i'm still like a level 10 or something and uh i have not played just about every character i i made moira i've found out um <laughs> so we'll be in competitive lobbies and people will be like okay so, so we've got two healers and i'm like no no no. you have a damage that can sometimes <laughs> heal you if i remember um but i will run out and just hurt people all day <laughs> Is uh is Kirby as fun as it looks? I'm thinking of picking it up for the summer. I have a lot of travel coming up. It is a very fun game. I don't necessarily know if it's a playing game because I'll sit there and I I think I like I've never sworn at a video game as much as I sworn at Kirby, which is such like antithesis to like the Kirby character. But um, it is surprisingly challenging in some aspects, especially because it's one of those games where that really celebrates completionists and i am not used to being a video game completionist so me going through and being like ah i forgot a waddle d i gotta go get him <laughs> so i've played <laughs> levels like six or seven times just being like where the hell is this waddle d <laughs> it uh kirby and that has been my playing game mm -hmm. for like, okay so, so you think it is a playing game i i do think i that's what i've been playing when i travel um i don't swear at kirby <laughs> <laughs> I don't swear at Kirby. I swear at me handling Kirby. <laughs> um, it's very cute. I mean, it's a Kirby game. I I wish it was harder, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's a kid's game. I just need to get over it. But it, Sam, I would recommend it. I think it's it's fun, enjoyable. It's really cute. Um, the mouthful mode always <laughs> makes me laugh. So it's cute. just so weird, the things that it makes you do. Um, I played the demo and... It sold me when I turned into a giant traffic cone. Yeah. <laughs> I used it to break through barriers of concrete. I'm like, I what is gaming? My favorite one is turning into the vending machines and shooting um, <laughs> cans of soda at enemies. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. I like I, give me bulb. more. The which one? The light bulb, because I feel like it can't jump as well, so it's just like waddling. Yeah. <laughs> So Emily, you are playing uh, Kirby and Overwatch uh, and Cosmonius High right now. Looking into the past, what are your favorite games of all time? Um, 
so I think this is kind of like relatable to like people who grew up with a single dad, but uh, you get video games you're not supposed to have at your age. Can I guess what so, it is? Yeah. Is it The Last of Us? No. Um, okay. I only asked because I talked with your friend Lonnie yesterday and she uh-huh. was telling me about how she knows every part of that game because of you. Yeah. Okay. So here's it. So I will, um, I like to go on my little like explainer that I'm essentially a YouTube personality without a YouTube channel. Um, so I will go and like have like, a deep thought out essay about, uh, like, like the last of us. So yeah, I do remember explaining that to her, but, um, oh, no, funny. the one that I got like too young was Assassin's Creed. Um, oh. basically like, I think it was like 11 onward. Uh, they published one right around my birthday every year. So my dad was like, yes, like he would just get me a copy and that would be like the birthday gift. So it was like, super easy to pick up so i started playing that game like really young uh just you know where you hang out with your cousin and you're like <laughs> um, but yeah so that was like one of the first games that i like played like religiously uh it was my favorite growing up um the first one um or so i got the first one the second one captivated me i actually okay. have it on my switch now because i was like so excited like the nintendo direct came around and people were like oh my god kirby oh my god this is and i was like pushing people out of the way like assassin's creed seo chronicles <laughs> i'm going back to the renaissance baby i'm going back <laughs> uh yeah so i'm like I love that. when i'm not playing like kirby overwatch cause many tires like three other things i'm like trying to get through too so i can get to brotherhood because that's like my favorite game yeah of, like, i was gonna say time. brotherhood was the first one was my or no two was my introduction but I didn't own it. It was like a friend. And mm-hmm. then I got Brotherhood. And that I was like, I played it out of order because I, that was my first like start to finish. And then I was like, oh, I need to go back because like I need Ezio's story and I love this game. Um, yeah. If you can I imagine. I, th- I think I was the uh, right age. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you can imagine a little 14 year old like in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, like just playing Kanye West's click at full volume. <laughs> that's that was the the mood of that summer <laughs> emily it's funny you tell that story about your your dad getting you assassin's creed because i just this just activated a memory in that the first m-rated game my dad ever got for me was assassin's creed 3 yeah um, there is really just something about the historical nature of assassin's creed that does appeal to dads <laughs> it's i think what it is is they're like oh it's going to teach them a little something about <laughs> history and it's like no maybe uh it tries i, I mean I, I was like that weird 14 year old that was like weirdly obsessed with like katarina sforza and <laughs> would be like you don't even know about italian philosophers if you don't know about katarina sforza <laughs> so very so it is your favorite game of all time is your your go-to answer assassin's creed 2 a brotherhood brotherhood oh yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the the storyline of two, just because it's like you getting to know Ezio as like a a layabout twenty year old who's just like a dork and bad at stuff, but like in Brotherhood, he's he's good at everything, <laughs> and he's just like, oh, I hate every like, why is this happening? I'm gonna go kill Machiavelli, and it's like, mm, slow your roll there. <laughs> Obeys the rules of most trilogies that the middle chapter is the best one. I always like the second of everything so like i love like season two of every show that i've ever watched i love like the second book of every series i love the second game of every trilogy okay except for like shrek 2 and <laughs> paddington 2 okay don't most on shrek things 2. fall under 
the like sophomore curse of aren't most sequels the worst? No, I okay. So I okay. Gonna, I follow your point now, Caitlin. You're saying Shrek Two is Shrek Two is like the, the exception. Oh yes, where that's that the exception. Good. Was that? Did you guys think I meant like it was horrible? Because I, I was that you so both reacted. You. Yeah. No, I love Shrek Two. Like there are a couple exceptions to the rule, but I feel like most sequels are not at all like the best ones. I always think they're the worst ones. No, because like here's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm unapologetic Riverdale stan. Season two is the best season of Riverdale. Unapologetic Shameless stan. Season two is one of the better seasons. Uh, I love Criminal Mind season two. Uh, SVU, I like the second kind of iteration of it, which is like the post stable. Like that's my jam. So like I'll call that two. But like I like the sophomores. <laughs> that feels different because like those are shows that have gone on multiple seasons. It's not like a three story arc. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, like if we're talking about trilogies, which I guess like what I just said are not technically trilogies. Yeah. Thanks Shrek forever Shrek's after. Yeah. Parts. Honest, I like pre- try to pretend it doesn't exist, but like, okay, Jurassic Park, the second one, like not nearly as good as like the first or the third. Um, I just think you don't appreciate Jeff Goldblum's contributions to society enough. Um, I, and I can't help have you a fray. I have, he is i have a framed photo of him as jesus holding a dinosaur next to my bed i have a photo of him shirtless framed in my bathroom i'm pretty sure i appreciate jeff goldblum and what he has contributed to society but caitlin i think you are right i think there are more the there are more examples of sequels i think if it's a preconceived kind of trilogy um like the two towers is my favorite lord of the rings um movie um, but that's like they had the full course charted for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. they weren't making their you know those, way. I all three of those movies are perfect. Yeah, that is also true. Like Empire Strikes Back is my favorite of the original Star Wars <sighs> okay, trilogy. Yeah. But I agree with you. They're like Pirates Two, not as good as Pirates no. One. Um, you know, there 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 are a litany of sequels. Fantastic Beasts. I haven't seen the third one. I don't know if I will. But like, I remember watching the second one, and I was like, this is hot garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I haven't seen it since. Uh, again, unapologetic stand of the prequel Star Wars trilogy, and the third one is better than the second one. I'll give you that one, but um, yeah, uh, I just have uh, my own my own argument, and it's I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strong point. Yes, that's a fair point. So our last question to transition us into our main topic, Emily, what is your favorite event or convention you've ever been to? Um. So. I feel like y'all ask stuff and I'm just like, well, this is a safe space and it is a podcast. I used to, um, I was kind of big in like the anime convention circuit in Texas. This is like, uh, technically this would be like, like 10 years for uh, anime conventions if you do count uh, the pandemic. But um, if not, then like, you know, I'm working my way towards that. So uh, like, I used to do this circuit like every year and it was like, um, it was like Akon, Anime in their Texas, San Japan, Ikikon. So, you know, I've I've been to a lot. I do love uh, San Japan. It happens in San Antonio every year. It's a pretty big like video game, anime, cosplay, uh, all this nerd stuff convention. Uh, it's less. I feel like it's less uh, segmented just to anime as most Texas conventions. So like that was something I really enjoyed. But in terms of like actual convention conventions i would say that like 
you know, PAX is the only one I've been to. So it's got a pretty strong standing. <laughs> so now to transition into the event of the episode, uh, PAX East. Uh, before we dive into that, uh, one quick disclaimer. Triple Point works with many gaming companies that may come up on the show, including Blizzard, the Pokemon Company, Gearbox, and more. Visit TriplePointPR.com for our full client, client roster. Now, PAX East. Uh a co- of course, a couple episodes ago, Caitlin talked about her first industry event, uh, GDC. Emily, this was your first industry event. What did you think? Yeah, so I, you know, it is a like a big staple of the yearly calendar for industry, and a lot of people kind of had like reasons to be hesitant to go to in-person events again which is completely understandable i just want to say that uh here our hearts go out to the family of the enforcer from pax east who unfortunately passed away after contracting COVID, and you know we our hearts go out to them especially because you know this is we're still in a pandemic and having in-person events is a risky thing to an extent i feel like people at pax we're trying their best to be mindful about the situation, but you, you know, you can't be 100% safe in this day and age. Uh, and that's something that like we, we, we do like have a lot of like sympathy for people who were affected by that and people who are testing positive after the event, you know, our hearts go out to them. It is a different landscape to do in-person events in post-pandemic, not post-pandemic, but like at this stage in the pandemic. When a lot of COVID restrictions are being lifted by cities, yes. like Boston, for example, lifted their COVID restrictions right before PAX, but like the PAX organizers, he was like the one, who, the person who died, they were an enforcer. So like PAX as an event was enforcing like masks and um, trying to stay mindful of COVID. But I mean, like you mentioned, it's always like a risk and especially when you're outside of the event and people aren't wearing masks, mm-hmm. it's yeah i mean because the way that pax enforced like mask mandates i do think like that was a good step in the right direction and i think further connections should be doing that just on a front of like you know people can make their own decisions with their own health but as a general public we should be doing our best to uplift and support each other and be kind to one another and that's following certain health mitigations which we know are effective like masking up washing your hands staying distant if possible so that it was interesting to see people coming to this event in a way that you know it wouldn't have happened last year so people are a little bit more willing to go to in-person events people are a little bit more willing to reconnect with one another and i I do think that a lot of the people that were there were masking up and being safe and i liked that a lot of the people that you know even we saw at our event you know a lot of people were wearing masks and a lot of people did come with like a mindset of we're here together we're very excited to be together again for the first time in a couple of years but we are still gonna do our best to remain safe mm-hmm. and i think that was an interesting takeaway but i also do think that like this sense of community in the video game industry it still is there and it's i think it's strengthened by the fact that we haven't really gotten a lot of FaceTime in the past few years. So I think people are kind of being generally more supportive when they're seeing each other because they're realizing like, oh, I did miss this. I did, you know, we play video games a lot, but we do miss the social connections that video games offer us. And a lot of that is in person. So events like PAX give us really that chance to like see each other. And I'm glad that, you know, 
people were being considerate and kind, but they were also getting a chance to like see each other again. Yeah. I just for context for our listeners, Emily and I had outside of PAX, we had a client event that we held at Spin Boston, which was so much fun. It was a ping pong bar and like who <laughs> knew gamers just want to play games, even if it's not a video game. Um but yeah, it just I like that you talked about like the sense of community because I, I feel like that's what a lot of us have been missing um, for the past couple of years. And it just, I don't know, there's just really something about like seeing people in person that is very different from like having friendships and relationships online. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed PAX. It, the actual convention itself was very busy, like m- much more than GDC, which is understandable because this is a cons- more of a consumer event than developers. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how the after like the, the effects from PAX East and how many people contracted COVID, like what future events will look like. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So to dig deeper into the event that you both helped plan. Uh, you know, take us from the top. Uh, what did that process look like? What were your takeaways? What would you recommend to people planning their own events, uh, you know, surrounding future industry things coming up? I mean, shout out to Emily for finding this place because she <laughs> sent me a list of, she's like, okay, like this is where we can host our event. And I saw it and I was like, this is the, this is awesome. I'm like, we're definitely doing a ping pong bar. Like, I don't care how much it costs. I'm just kidding. Like it, it's not up to us but yeah this was like my first kind of assignment at triple point it was like the first week of february and caitlin was like i have an assignment for you should you be willing to accept and i was like i'm here uh and she was like i need you to find like locations that are close to the convention center but like can serve alcohol can serve food can do this can do that and i was like okay i'm gonna find that and then like I didn't know how long she expected me to take, but like by the end of the week, I was like, here's seven places that have it. Um, I have, I have an arcade bowling alley thing. I've got like a tequila dungeon. I have like all of these cool places. And then Caitlin was like, okay, I know that, I, I know you have all of this and this is very good work. Good job. Um, what is this ping pong bar? And I was like, oh, I didn't know if you'd like the ping pong bar, but it's like, it's a bar, the ping pong. And Caitlin was like, no, no, put it top of the list. We're going to send that to the client right now. <laughs> I was very impressed and very happy. <laughs> She was like, take out this pizza place, take out this place. Uh, tequila Dungeon, ooh, ping pong. <laughs> I don't even remember the Tequila Dungeon. That's awesome. I remember. I was going to sidebar. I was like, I'm now considering like starting like a, a second job as developing a game called Tequila Dungeon. Which oh. Really? Because I, I want to run te- uh, like a D&D session in the Tequila Dungeon <laughs> so I can be the Tequila Dungeon Master. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like a drinking D&D game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you find the ping pong bar, decide that is the venue of choice. What happens next? Yeah. So what happens next is we run it by the client who is, you know, Alchemy Labs. They're some of the coolest people on earth. They are like very chill, calm people. And we were like, hey, we have an idea. It's a ping pong bar. And they were like, sign us up. So, (laughs) you know, we contact the the ping pong bar. And um, I don't know if we are for saying ping pong bar we can name drop them um yeah i spin boston i spin boston 
Noted. Yeah, so we contact Spin Boston and we're like, hey, we'd like to hold an event for PAX. It's for this video game about aliens that go to high school. <laughs> and they were like, what? That sounds so cool. So instantly we have like really cool people at Spin and really cool people at Alchemy that are just like very excited to have an event. So it feels like the, like, the perfect team up. We get, you know, the quote for the event. We start looking at like cool customization options. So like one of the things that they offered was they would give us custom ping pong paddles with like the game's logo on them. And we we were like, hey, Alchemy, we don't know if you want this, but they were, they're gonna offer us ping pong paddles. And they were like, sign us up for 35 right now. <laughs> so cool, we love the ping pong paddles. Uh, they sent us like menus. We, we, select like the food and drink package and stuff like that and then we have an event happening at friday of pax and we sit there and we're like okay now we have to invite people and they have to come so we start scouring uh twitter for anybody that's got the coming soon pax east in their bios we start looking for people who are like saying that they're going to come we open up a move it campaign which I don't know if we've talked about Lubit on the podcast before, but it is. We had Eric on, and I th yes. think we, yeah, we talked about Lubit. But yes. definitely, like, dig into, like, you know, maybe people don't know you can use it for something like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Lubit's, like, a really cool, it's, like, a really cool application because it allows you to basically, like, get people together and, like, sign up for stuff, and then you can, like, approve requests and one of the things that we did was uh, we set up this campaign on Wubit that was like going to PAX, hit yes. And people signed up and were like, hey, we're going to PAX, like blah, blah, blah. We saw like the they had interest. And so we started picking people from that list as well and sending them invitations. The invitations were also really fun because I wrote them from the point of view of like a like a school admissions counselor for Cosmonia's High, where I was like, hey there, student, are you gonna come to recess? <laughs> Which is what we ended up calling the game, uh, like calling the event was like, we called it recess. And then, so that is all going off of that hitch. And then we actually get a collab request from Shell Games. We, and Caitlin, you might be able to better speak to this one, but they actually helped us with the event. Yeah, so Shell Games is another one of our clients. They, um, if anybody is familiar with I Expect You to Die series, it is a very fun and hilarious VR game series. They just announced, or they just released the second one last year, I believe. Um, and so because we work with both of them closely, we just kind of like reached out. We're like, hey, we're doing this event at PAX. And they were like, oh, we would like, I think, we might have asked them like do you want to be involved like we can do this joint event and they were very gung-ho about it um they're also a very great client of and we really like them so yeah we we had a joint event for cosmonies high and i expect you to die each we had a demo station set up for each game at spin boston we had a couple ping pong tables we had drink and food service like all these influencers showed up, um, got to mingle and hang out. A lot of them hadn't seen each other in a while. Uh, they played the demos. We had a photographer and like a very nice, not a photo booth, but like we had a backdrop and props. So like people got to take photos. Um, 
that we will be putting into a scrapbook and yeah they will be reaching out to people it's going to be a, a cute little PAX East like scrapbook yearbook of the event and of just like PAX itself to kind of remember our first or second in-person event back. <laughs> it's really yeah. cute I'm glad the event went over so well yeah no I was saying it kind of earlier but we got like I think the right group of people that we invited. So we ended up inviting like a lot of people and pretty much everybody that accepted the invitation showed up, which, you know, in like the event planning industry, basically what you count for is like you invite twice as many people as you expect to show up and then half as many people as if accept the invite will actually come. Uh, that wasn't the case here. We actually had more people show up than accepted the invite. Pretty much everybody on our list showed up. People brought like plus one, stuff like that. So like everybody wanted to come play ping pong and like try out this like cool, quirky, fun game. So that was super, like, it, it felt like very um, much like a, you did good. And I was like, because um, just a bunch of people were very excited. A lot of people were like, oh, you reached out to me, you invited me. And I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> um, so that was fun. But also just like everybody that we invited to the event was super nice. They were some of like the like best people like they had such a cool calm vibe to them even like the people at spin boston were like we wish every event was like yours because y'all are nice which was like super like affirming and very nice of them everybody there was like just really like cool so i'm glad that we invited the people that we did and they all had like a really they seem to have like a really fun time we've gotten a lot of like messages that were like we had fun yeah so Emily, just I'm curious from a logistical standpoint with the event going off with, you know, such a, a bang, uh, like you said, you know, defying the laws of event planning and more people <laughs> coming than uh, planned. Did that require any sort of like last minute changes or like, you know, work that had to be done on the fly or was it totally did it all go over fine? So it went over well. We talked to the venue and we were like hey if more people show up like what's what's the situation and they were like it's cool your room is rated to hold like 60 people 35 were expected to show up so if like, you can have up to 60 people show up we're just going to like charge you after and we were like okay that's great so like just send them in and we also ended up extending our time by 30 minutes which also added on to the cost it was like a reasonable fee so our client, again, was very accommodating of the whole thing, and they were super excited that people wanted to show up. So we, you know, on the fly kind of had to, like, we kind of went into double hosting mode where we were like, okay, we were expecting 30 people, 60 showed up, this is fine. And I really credit Blaine and Caitlin because they were really out there on the floor just, like, networking and doing, like, a really good job of, like, talking to people, hosting the demo sessions and all of that. Uh, I no take credit for yourself too because oh <laughs> you were doing great checking people in and talking with people it was a very smooth process and I've done events for clients like not at like a convention but just otherwise like when I used to work in New York City um, this was the smoothest event I have ever been a part of and I know Blaine shares that same sentiment also spin boston was just like one of the easiest venues and was actually like a very fair price and we're like 
like you mentioned, they're like, yeah, like we can add people on the fly. We can extend the time, like whatever we need. They were like, we're here for you. It was great service. Um, they're actually a chain. And so I know there's one also in like in Seattle. I'm like, okay, are we doing something for PAX West? Because <laughs> I will absolutely choose spin. Yeah. <laughs> so... Well, first of all, congrats, Emily, on, on arranging uh, such a, an event that went over so well. Um, Thank you. And so you broke down the research you put into finding an, a venue that not only fit kind of, uh, the, you know, the basic needs, but also just kind of the theme and general vibe of the client. Talked about the research you put into finding folks that were attending, uh, Paxis using social media. Uh, you know, continuing honest open communication with the event as you got closer to it. Any other things you would recommend or kind of learnings you'll keep in mind for any future event planning? Yeah, keep a handful of business cards because you'll never know when you're going to be seated on the flight next to a Twitch streamer <laughs> with like over 60,000 followers. There we I, go. Yeah, no. So I'm kind of in the school of always be pitching. So I saw somebody like, like literally I was on the plane at like six in the morning to Boston and somebody like was putting his bag away. I didn't even recognize him for who he was. I just like, I heard his voice and I was like, this has to be a Twitch streamer. Like he sounds like a Twitch streamer. And then I like pull up Twitter and I see that it's, it's a data Dave Twitch streamers, 62,000 followers. And I'm just like, Hey, here's my card. Do you want to come to an event tomorrow night? And he was like, yeah. So reaching out, I think, being like just a bubbly person in general that's like very very like hi welcome is really good because if you're going to be the person checking everybody in you kind of set the tone of the event so i i find like being a very like upbeat welcoming person really kind of helps break the ice sometimes and especially if i'm like even a little bit over the top of like welcome to recess like people <laughs> kind of respond to that pretty well so i mean like just go in with like, a good attitude and just remember that you're hosting an event that's supposed to be fun and if you're not having fun other people won't be having fun so just p calm positive peppy mindset is really like a long way to making sure these things go off well because if they see you sweating they're they're not going to think that you have it and you gotta you gotta you, you gotta project that you have it you gotta go with the flow yeah, going with the flow and also like, you know, not fake it till you make it, but like make it. Yeah. So you don't have to fake it. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said at the top of the show, like so much about what we do is like, you know, being that like kind, friendly face behind, you know, like, you know, you're not just being like, oh, this is just a company. Like, oh, there are like nice, kind people who work here or help represent them. So. Mm -hmm. Very, very nice. So taking, yeah. a, you know, zooming out a bit from the event and looking at PAX East uh, more generally, did either of you get a chance to see the convention center, the show floor? Did you attend any other events or parties? I'm oh. going to go with Caitlin on this one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I Emily left before I did, so I you didn't get to go to the convention floor, correct? No. Okay. I wasn't sure because I know you were there a day before me. I went on Saturday. Did I go two days? Yeah, I was there Friday and Saturday. <laughs> um, I've already forgotten everything I've done at PAX. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so I spent a couple days on the floor. I am very boring though and didn't go to any parties. 
which is fine. Um, we hung out with just our coworkers, saw an old coworker of ours, uh, Andrew, who lives in Boston. So it was just, it was nice to catch up with people. But the, yeah, the show floor was very exciting. There were lots of crazy booths and fun games to play that I'm really looking forward to trying out when they come out. Uh, Any particular games stand out that you wish list on Steam or anything like that? I Cult of the Lamb, mm. Devolver, like pretty much any Devolver game. I'm like, yes, give it to me. But that one was, it's just like still my favorite upcoming game that I'm excited to play. Um, oh, there were others. And maybe I should pull up my Steam wish list or they're on my phone. But that one was definitely like the standout for me. That's good to hear that the game is uh, just as cool in person as it has seen online. Or seen yeah, online. I was going to buy merch, but it was they were all sold out when I saw it. I was like, dang it. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's called The Courier. Um, it's by Crescent Moon Games. And I like saw it from far away. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's another like um, delivery sim game where you play as a post office person. And I played Lake last year and really liked it. And I don't know what it is about wanting to be like a mailman that is just <laughs> so much fun. And that game was fun. I tried that out a little bit. So any other stories or takeaways from PAX East? Don't eat the food at the food, the food court. <laughs> That is, you know, that is sage knowledge. advice. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, there was a place we went to dinner. Was it Thursday night, Emily? It and I'm was pretty so bad. It was so bad. I won't say the restaurant, but I'm pretty sure I got food poisoning because I was up all night sick. Um, and Blaine was sick too. I, I I'm. It's you were let, you were the only one who didn't have the raw salmon. Yeah, because I don't eat, I don't, so I'm allergic to shellfish and I don't eat fish just in general because of like health reasons. So, um, so there are cities that are treacherous to me as a person, New Orleans, uh, Boston, uh, anywhere in Maine where it's just the, the seafood is unavoidable. So, uh, I had like a fun little weekend of like kind of slipping around all of the seafood and uh, Caitlin and Blaine were much more adventurous than I was eating raw salmon at this restaurant that we went to. And uh, I was like, mm, I'm going to go sit over here and not eat this salad that I've been given, which is awful. <laughs> yeah, we we just did not have good luck with the food this time around. I think we had like deep, like aside from like that restaurant we went to, like... We went to another one on uh, Saturday that was, like, pretty good. Oh, what was it I think called? We... Lord Hobo? Lord, Lord Horbo. Yeah, Lord, Lord Hobo. Lord Hobo. Weirdest name, but it was right outside our hotel. And I was like, let's go get lunch at this place just because the name sounds cool. That was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And uh, Spin had really good food, so. Yes, Spin did. Oh, uh, I think their French fries really took you out, though. <laughs> yeah. Emily, you didn't go to Trillium with Blaine and I, I think. We went on Saturday, which is a brewery in Boston. Mm -hmm. Very good. If anybody is a beer fan, I highly recommend it. Um, I had a beer that tasted like a smoothie. Ooh. Yeah. And that was good? I, it was so good. I've never heard of such a concept. <laughs> it was like their daily. It was just some like, I don't know. It had fruit in the name. 
And I was like, you know what? I like a little fruity beer, but this was like so smooth. And like they make all their beers there because it's a brewery. But I, I was very surprised because I'm not like the biggest beer fan, but I like going to a good brewery every once in a while. I will take your word for it because I think beer is the worst thing. So you can have mine. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, other than that, any good takeaways? Let's see. Hey, if you're in Boston, uh, things you need, a uh, chapstick, a windbreaker, a, a rope to belay yourself onto the nearest building. Um, the wind is brutal. The, it's so brutal. That's what I, I was like, going to ask. I was like, all of my, you know, growing up listening to podcasts, all the only thing I've ever heard about PAX East is that the weather is intense. And I know they delayed it. I mean, obviously, late April is a lot, you know, later in the calendar than I know, like, historically, it would sometimes be in March and it would still be snowing. Um, so, what you know, so the weather was very windy, I, I assume. Yeah. I was, like, walking like this because I was afraid it was going to, like, blow a contact out of my eye. Like, <laughs> that's how bad the wind was. Caitlin's, like, eyelashes were, like, fluttering. It was – so I get, like, fake eyelashes. I don't have them right now. But, like, it was the first time I've ever experienced my eyelashes being, like, blown in the wind to the point where, like, <laughs> I couldn't control my eyes blinking. And I was like, this is the weirdest feeling that I've experienced. But, yeah, yeah the – I thought we were going to be blown away, but yeah, other than like definitely be prepped for the weather. I mean, just like PAX is fun. I mean, I feel like PAX has always been fun and people really enjoy it. I think more people probably enjoy PAX West because there's probably more things to do outside of the event. Boston and the Seaport District kind of closes early. It is so strange. Everything was closed by like 9 p.m. Yeah. Weird. A couple... Like a couple nights, we were walking around trying to just like find a place to chill, and there was nothing. So we just ended up going back to the hotel and hanging out in the lobby. But that was fine because they had like game people were playing D and D, and I were was someone playing Ticket to Ride or someone was playing Scythe. Yeah, another yeah, an Asthma Day game, and I was like, this is that's funny. Yeah, no, it was really funny because I was like, I can't escape. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those all sound like very uh, good things to keep in mind. The nice thing about like me kind of like, you know, tagging in on these event podcasts is that I'm learning all of the, you know, the advice from you guys that way hopefully whenever I do get to my first in-person industry event, uh, it can go as smoothly as possible. Yeah, I, I hope they actually keep PAX East in April because I don't want to go in March. So, yeah, that leads to my final question. Yeah, just any hopes for, you know, industry events just for the rest of the calendar year or for PAX East 2023? Just to please keep your COVID restrictions in place. Yes. That's because cities are lifting them. Governments are lifting them. It's, it's very important to the community to keep those restrictions just when you have lots of people and an enclosed space it mm -hmm. it just makes sense and there's nothing hard about wearing a mask so please wear a mask and please wear them on the plane yes i was like one of three people on my flight that were was wearing one i know frustrating. I, the boldness it takes to go to an airport of all places maskless um 
Yeah, that I mean, that's just a really good point, because like a lot of places are dropping the restrictions and they're not requiring masks or vaccine mandates and stuff like that, which like we don't have shepherds anymore. So the flock's got to watch out for the flock. Um, I just think, you know, just being kind to other people. I hope that like the good vibes continue into next year, even when we've had more in-person meetups under our belts. And um, I also just kind of I really hope that VR has like a good spot at the table at all these events going future like going forward because vr is like the neglected stepchild of gaming and it shouldn't be because it's actually really fun and there are a lot of people that don't know about like vr titles or vr stuff we actually also talked to a lot of people at the event that were like i don't know about vr because i have like x and x needs for like gaming or like i have things that i can't really do in gaming like i have conditions that kind of make vr seem like really intimidating to me and um that those are completely understandable but at the same time like vr is working really like there are a lot of people in vr especially alchemy labs that are working to make it more accessible and you know there's a spot at the table for everybody and i hope that going forward like vr does get the credit that it deserves as like a legitimate form of gaming Mm -hmm. there are quite a few vr um games at pax Shell Games was one of them. They had I Expect mm-hmm. You to Die 2 there. Um, I think Demio is the game that they yes. also... I'm pretty sure I saw because I went to go talk to them. And I can't remember if it was the VR game or the PC one, but I think they had their VR game mm-hmm. on the show floor. But yeah, the neglected stepchild is really funny because <laughs> it's true. Well, there you have it, folks. Much to look forward to for hopefully, you know, upcoming industry events and a hopefully still in April PAX East 2023. Uh, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. We really appreciate your time and sharing all your amazing insights from the spin ping pong party. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, no, you know, always willing to come onto the podcast. So if y'all ever need me again, I'm just, I'm going to call away. <laughs> that's just when I'm like the, the weird grandma that's like, you never write. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can keep up with the podcast here at Real Time Strats on social media. You can email us questions at podcast at triple point PR.com. Uh, this episode, very thankfully, you know, n- knock on wood, uh, will make it to air um, so thank you for bearing with us with without an episode the last couple of weeks uh, between travel sickness and a lost episode where we reviewed the very good uh, Joby Gamer peanut butter. Um, it, it was a good one, and I'm sad it didn't it make our, it to air. I know it was our first live tasting where people couldn't watch us eat, but they could listen to us. And what's oh, better because than everybody that? loves to hear eating peanut butter on a yeah. microphone. Who doesn't? Yeah, I think we like tinged the glass jar. It was great <laughs> ASMR. Oh, real ASMR. Yeah. We, okay. I'm very upset that segment didn't make it. I'm also very upset the other special segment. We'll keep that in our pocket. We'll, we'll, keep we'll it make in our a pocket. grand It'll debut of it future. Yeah. 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 And then the next time y'all open up Coke cans and eat bananas <laughs> right next to the mic. That's true. There's like gamer Coke now. I think it's berry flavored. <laughs> What do you mean, gamer Coke? <laughs> God, that doesn't sound right. But Coca Cola, to be to be clear, I think I, I read it. Uh, I forget. I, I apologize to whichever outlet reviewed it. Um, pixel flavored. Yeah, pixel flavored. Whatever that means. What? <laughs> I'm on PC Gamer. Tyler Wild tried Coca Cola's new limited edition metaverse inspired zero sugar bite soda. B Y T. It tastes kind of like grape flavoring. 
Hmm. That is very pretty. <laughs> it tastes like grape. <laughs> it's very fizzy and much sweeter than I expected for a sugar-free drink. Is that like that drink that, um, remember when we were on the Ferris wheel in Vegas and they were trying to offer us that like special Ferris wheel drink and all of the reviews oh were like, it's gosh. flat and fizzy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what it, was that? Oh, co- co- oh uh, was co- it nitro. Coca-Cola Pepsi nitro. nitro. Or Pepsi, Pepsi nitro. Pepsi nitro. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pepsi nitro. I've never been as bombarded with an advertisement for one single product more than I was. Every review was just... Nitro. It's surprisingly fizzy for something that is so flat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like the uh, pixel-flavored Coca-Cola, you know, we might have lost the peanut butter review, but now we have an episode idea for the future. But until then, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you.